0: Welcome to Small Acts of Living, a podcast that helps you find balance using Ayurveda. Welcome to episode seven, where I'm going to be talking about what makes a meal more Ayurvedic. But before I do, I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's been listening to this podcast. I've been really loving checking the stats and it still blows my mind that people are actually listening to it. So thank you very much, it means a lot and um, I really hope you're enjoying it. So what makes a meal more Ayurvedic? Now, when people hear about Ayurvedic food, they immediately think of Indian spices and curries but I'm here to tell you this isn't what Ayurvedic food is. Honestly, you can make your scrambled eggs more Ayurvedic, you can make your vegetable stir fries more Ayurvedic, or even a bowl of Alpen if you have it with some cinnamon and warmer milk. Literally anything you eat can become more Ayurvedic, unless it's McDonald's, in which case, yeah, you kinda can't get away with that. But there's always a trick to make whatever you're eating easier on your digestion and more balancing for your dosha, which is ultimately what Ayurveda is all about. For example, just by making small changes to your choice of cooking oil, incorporating the six tastes, adding a couple of spices and fresh herbs, and by observing what's happening seasonally and within you, you're already on the way to better digestion. So to start explaining what makes a meal Ayurvedic, I wanted to talk about the six tastes because these are the fundamentals of Ayurveda. Now incorporating the six tastes in every meal means you're less likely to snack in between. So I, before I studied Ayurveda, I remember I used to like eat my lunch and then like have to have a bowl of nuts at a certain point point, then some fruit and I was grazing on things throughout the day. But since I've kind of developed these Ayurvedic concepts and made sure that I'm eating the right things at the right time, like I'm about to tell you, I just don't snack anymore. Like I just don't feel the hunger to do it. I might get a craving every now and then, but I just don't have that kind of like unfulfilled feeling. So basically the reason we snack is because we either haven't had a big enough meal, so that means with either enough protein or carbs to keep us sustained, or because we haven't included all the tastes, so our tongue is naturally seeking out or looking for like that extra satisfaction. But don't worry, it's super easy to include each taste and I'll run through some examples of what they are. Now what are the six tastes? You've got pungent, astringent, bitter, salty, sour, and sweet. Now before your mind gets blown, let me give you some examples of what those are. Because honestly, before I started properly learning about Ayurveda, I had absolutely no clue. So let's go back to the stir fry example to keep things simple. Now let's say you've got some courgette in there, maybe a dash of coconut milk. Those are the sweet taste. Let's say you've cooked with garlic or black pepper. That's the pungency. Then you've got some broccoli or you've added some fresh parsley on top. That's the astringency. Let's say you've cooked with a pinch of salt or added some soy sauce. That's the salty taste. And you've completed the meal with a little squeeze of lime or maybe added some cheese and that's sour. So voila, that's the six tastes complete. Now spices can give you some really easy wins here too. So just by cooking with a little fennel, that's sweet. A little fresh ginger, which is pungent. Some ground coriander, astringent. pinch of salt and either fenugreek or turmeric which are both bitter you're already three quarters of the way there without even having to think about the actual food part now once you've got your head around the six tastes you also need to be aware of what you're including in your meals because this is just as important towards satisfaction now i've worked with lots of clients before usually more vata types who are not having substantial enough meals and skipping the protein or the carb because they don't want to eat heavily and they want to remain light. Now, according to Ayurveda, what gives us ultimate satisfaction is to have a balanced plate of a grain, so a grain or carb, a protein, a legume and veggies, as well as a fat. The fat, like an oil, for example, is what helps our food travel deeper into our tissues. It acts as a kind of carrier. And some vitamins are water soluble, meaning they need a fat to take them through to our cells instead. So quite simply, there's no point eating cooked spinach if you're not having it with some kind of fat because your body won't be able to absorb the vitamins in it. So always see your plate as something like a canvas to build on. And honestly, you can get super geeky with it and have a little checklist in your kitchen of foods that you could include so you're always inspired for each of the six tastes and for the different categories of legume, protein and stuff. Because I know it's quite difficult to kind of think in your head, okay, What are like the non animal sources of protein, or what are legumes, or like what's the pungent taste? But if you have it all there in your kitchen, you can just do a quick look and it can inspire your shopping and inspire what you're cooking that night. Now, a good source to head to to find out about all these things is Banyan Botanicals. They have a really good website which dissects each taste, it gives you all the kind of foods for each taste, and it also gives you some really good foods for each dosha as well, so I highly recommend checking that out. Now on to a favorite subject of mine, which is eating in line with the seasons, and it's because this is what makes a meal really Ayurvedic as well. And I've spoken a lot about this before in previous episodes, but I'll continue to harp on about it because it's really important. So let's take a warm summer's day as an example. Now, if you've nailed three coffees eaten deep-fried oily foods that are heavy on the digestion, or you've had a hot spicy curry with loads of chilli, then you're not eating in balance with the season. You're actually increasing your own internal fire, rather than decreasing it, which can lead to a pitcher imbalance. Because already in the world around us is extreme heat from the Sun, so you don't want to match that heat internally, you want to balance it and create the opposite. So whatever the weather is outside, you need to be eating foods with the opposite qualities to stay in balance. So on that same summer's day, something light, fresh, and cooling in nature, like coconut water, white basmati rice, or cooling bitter greens like spinach and broccoli, will decrease your internal fire. And happy days, you're peacefully in balance. To be more specific about this, each season is kind of aligned to a particular dosha. And what I mean by that is that in each season, we have a build-up of a particular dosha in us and the world around us. So vata is more predominant in autumn and winter, pitta in spring and summer, and kapha in winter and spring. Which basically means we need to consume dense, warm, oily and heavy foods in the vata seasons, which is the opposite to vata's light, dry and rough qualities. We need to consume cooling, easy to digest, bitter foods in the pitta seasons to reduce pitta's excess fire and foods that are light, stimulating and fresh in Kapha seasons to offset the heavier, more dense qualities of Kapha's earth and water elements. What cooking oil you're using can also mean whether a meal is more Ayurvedic or not. So, ghee reigns supreme in Ayurveda. You've probably heard every single Ayurvedic practitioner talking about ghee and it's amazing for loads of reasons. So firstly, if you're suffering from a pitor imbalance, which is excess heat, it naturally cools the body without aggravating it. Secondly, it acts as a carrier for the nutrients you're digesting to travel deeper into your tissue layers. And it lubricates the body, which helps with so many things like fertility, anti-aging and libido, for example. Thirdly, it stimulates the appetite, improves your complexion and tone of voice, and it's really good for weakness. So it literally adds this juiciness to your tissues and it makes you feel young. Um, Ghee isn't great for kaffir types, but that's okay because kaffers naturally have more lubrication of the body anyway and that sort of enviously good and glowing skin. So when you think about what oil you're cooking with, try and figure out or research what its qualities are and whether or not it will suit you in your current state. So for example, flaxseed oil is actually heating, so it's not suitable for a pitcher imbalance or in the sort of midday sun in summer, but it's great for kaffir. Sesame oil is heating too and it's one of the best for vata. Coconut oil is cooling so it's great for pitta but not so great for kapha or vata. So you don't really want to be using coconut oil in the middle of winter. Just as you wouldn't really want to be using sesame oil in the middle of summer. Another key thing that makes a meal Ayurvedic is basically whether the ingredients you're using are seasonal or not. But I do admit this is really hard today when our supermarkets are completely stacked with fruit and vegetables that have been flown in from Kenya, Peru or Portugal. I've got into a bit of a geeky habit of picking up my vegetables from like M&S or Sainsbury's and turning around the packet and having a little look at where they've been flown in from. And it always really surprises me how far it is and how the vegetables still look like they do. Because can you imagine like how how long it's had to travel from when it was first picked to packaged and then put on our shelves? it's the likelihood of that food having any kind of healing prana in it is just so low and it's kind of it's kind of got this like lifeless energy to it now and that's what we ingest so i'd always suggest to try and shop as seasonally as you can and by that i mean checking to see where a particular food has been grown so I know that in Sainsbury's and M&S they have like British labels across the packaging and you can quite clearly see it has like the UK flag on it and you can see that it's grown by UK farmers and stuff like that so always just have a look and if you can get an alternative that's grown in the UK then I would definitely go for that. You can also buy seasonal food calendars which tell you exactly what vegetables and fruit are grown in the UK at a particular season so you know you're going for the right thing. I think you'll agree there's something kind of weirdly unnatural about tucking into a slightly unripe mango that's been shipped over from Mexico on a cold, wintry day in the UK. Now, if it doesn't feel right, then there's a reason for that. And I guess it's tricky, isn't it? Because in our world today, with all the access to food that we have, it, we can end up cooking with with food that's flown in from Peru when really it shouldn't belong to the season that we're in. You know, we have that luxury, but Whether or not it is a luxury is really debatable because it's not actually doing us any good. That's the thing, so it's really interesting in that kind of debate about, is all this massive access to food actually a good thing? I mean, imagine if the supermarkets only stocked seasonal food in the UK. I mean, of course, we would have hardly any variety, but what we would have would be so much better for us. I would have so much more nutrients and prana. So it's an interesting one. So let's go over what veggies are seasonal in the UK. So generally in spring right now, you'll see that veggies like purple-sprouting broccoli and bok choy, for example, are in line with the season. And that's because their bitter and astringent qualities naturally reduce the excess kaffir and water within us. If you tuned into, I think it was episode four, about my deep dive on kaffir, you'll know that this season is when our bodies start to shed this excess water and earth that have built up over the winter time. Now in summer, the seasonal foods in the UK include things like courgettes, cucumber and fennel, which all have cooling properties to reduce pitta, so that's reduce that excess heat. And in the autumn, it's all about those grounding root veggies like carrots, swede, parsnips and butternut squash, because they really help to calm and ground those batshit crazy vata vibes that really kick off around that time. Now, when it comes to making a meal more Ayurvedic, the size of your meal really counts. It's advised to have a light breakfast the biggest meal of the day at lunch, and again, a light and easy to digest meal in the evening. Now that's because our digestion, so our internal fire works in line with the sun because lo and behold, we're all connected to the world around us. So just as we have an internal fire, it matches that internal fire in the sky. So in the morning when the sun's rising, it's still a little bit weak, you know, it's just kind of popping up. So that's the same with our digestion which is why it's always better to have a slightly lighter breakfast. Then when the sun reaches its peak at 12pm, that's also when our internal fire is at its most strong, which means that we're better able to digest more food or slightly heavier proteins and carbs. And as the sun reaches sunset, it again becomes a little bit weaker, which is why if you're having a massive dinner, your main meal is dinner you're going to really struggle to digest that profit properly which can cause all sorts of problems so it's much better to have a smaller dinner and a smaller breakfast and a bigger lunch in terms of portion size you can measure yours by placing your two hands either side of each other and forming a little cup shape now this is technically how big your stomach is and our portion shouldn't really exceed this amount. So it might seem like a little bit to you, but once you start eating within this kind of portion size, you'll start getting really used to it and you won't overeat or feel really, really full or tired after after your meals. Now, one tip I really love is to always listen out for the burp. So when you're eating, say you're three quarters of the way through your meal and you have a burp, that's actually your body's way of telling you that it's satisfied and it doesn't need any more food so instead of kind of ignoring the burp and carrying on just try to see that as your body literally speaking to you and telling you thank you i'm done now because if you continue to eat and eat and eat post that burp then your digestion just simply is going to struggle to digest the rest of that food and that undigested food might end up turning into toxins which can cause all sorts of issues and in fact it's the root cause of all disease so Just try and listen out for the burp and and see if you can respond to it by just pausing and actually noticing whether you really need to take another bite. It's really interesting how in our culture burping is seen as something rude burping at the dinner table you know you wouldn't dream of burping at somebody's if somebody invited you for dinner and you burped after the meal you know you'd get kicked out the door but in India it's actually a sign that you've really enjoyed the meal so it's really interesting how our culture has switched the narrative on that and yeah I just find that really interesting because ultimately it's actually it is a sign of satisfaction. So if you think being vegan or vegetarian is what means something is Ayurvedic, then that's actually not correct. Because Ayurveda is such a personalized, tailored approach to health. You know, there might be a very underweight Vata type who is a bit weak and actually really needs to eat chicken in order to kind of build that strength and sustain their energy. Or, you know, they might need to eat cheese to help them with calcium. And the more restrictive you are with your diet, The more tastes you're stripping away so when you think back to the six tastes like i mentioned before if we don't have all six tastes in our diet then we're not going to be satisfied so for example if you're on a diet that's totally cutting out the sweet taste you've totally cut out all sugar of any kind you're not going to be able to sustain that because the body needs to have the sweet taste in order to feel balanced so The Ayurvedic take on any kind of meal, or just generally, is everything in moderation. Absolutely everything in moderation. And I think that's the healthiest way to approach food. My teacher, Dr. Deepika Rodrigo, who I studied with at the Ayurvedic Institute UK, she always used to say that Ayurvedic food is basically what your grandma used to cook. And I think that's a really good way of explaining it. It's those lovely, hearty, nourishing, filling meals that would make everybody want to come round the dinner table and just really tuck into something satisfying and warming. And it's kind of, in a way, it in today's world of kind of raw foods and juices and all these kind of slightly fad diets, it feels really old school to think of like a fish casserole dish or a, a hearty kind of whatever it was that would, was going to be made. But actually, those are the kind of foods that really work for you. And uh, so it's all about... Uh, Going retro with your meals and going back to those kind of meals. That's what Ayurveda is really all about Another thing that makes a meal Ayurvedic is how and when you consume that meal So if you're eating lunch kind of distracted at your desk at work or like on the go as you're walking along or simply whilst you're doing something else then your body won't be able to digest it as effectively as if you were to just take some time to sit and just kind of be with your food, look at the food, smell the food, just really like let it consume all of your senses um, because we don't just digest our experiences with you know one sense, we digest it with all of our senses. So if we're looking at our food, if we're touching our food, if we're smelling our food, then we're already halfway to the process of digesting it. So just try your best to eat in a really calm environment. Maybe shut your laptop, put your phone face down, and just be there with your food. And just simply doing this just makes it can make a meal more Ayurvedic. Because the thing is, if we're distracted while we're eating, so say we're watching something on TV, and it might be like, I don't know, like a horror film, for example, or we're watching something disturbing, or maybe we're stressed or anxious, or we're overstimulated. If we are feeling any kind of high emotion, at the same time as eating, then our the energy from our digestion is not focused on our digestion. It's focused on our nervous system. Perhaps it's gone to our head. Perhaps it's you know causing anxiety in our body. So we don't have the same digestive power as we would if we were just focused. So if you're the kind of person that's always eating whilst doing something else, then I really recommend to just try to just be more chilled when you're eating and just take you know even if it's just 10 minutes out of your day just sit down and just be there with the food um, because also if we watch tv and we are eating and we're not really like concentrating on what we're putting in our mouth then we're more likely to overeat and not really realize or recognize when we're full so just yeah see give it a go just do it do it as a practice this lunchtime, just sit there with your food and listen for the burp and you'll, you'll have a little smile to yourself once you hear it. It's probably fairly obvious to say this, but Ayurveda puts a lot of emphasis on foods that are high in prana. So those foods that still contain that kind of natural energy from the sun and the natural environment in which they were grown. So that's fresh, organic, seasonal food. Processed foods are things, are not always what you think. So for example, if I talk about processed foods, you might think about maybe um, like a a processed takeaway or something like I don't know like processed sugary treats but actually processed foods can include things like the fake chicken alternatives or soya foods tempeh and even tofu to a certain extent basically anything that's like been man-made as opposed to nature made if that makes any sense so basically the reason is because our bodies our digestion doesn't really understand what those things are because they're not in their natural form and the body's intelligence doesn't understand something like that so it converts it into a toxin or it sees it as a toxin so sometimes these processed foods can actually do things like increase your pitta because your body's kind of having this slight reaction to them like almost like an inflammatory reaction because they're not in their natural form the body's very clever like that Um, I had a Pitta client who was having lots of protein powder in his smoothies every morning, and that was actually causing him a lot of issues because the protein wasn't kind of um, in its natural form, it was kind of this man-made protein, and the body basically just didn't recognize it as food and saw it as something alien and therefore toxic. So basically, if you're a bit confused, just aim for natural foods rather than anything that looks overprocessed, And definitely avoid like pre-packaged meals, takeaways or leftovers, as these really lack prana and can actually bring our energy down. So I had another client who was suffering quite badly from depression. And it's basically because he was living off these low energy, what we call tomastic foods, which are things like takeaways, things that are kind of, they're sort of like dead, like the foods are kind of dead. You know, it's imagine if you have, um, some like vegetables that are sort of slightly stale and for example you're holding up a celery a stick of celery and it kind of flops down because it's just lost that prana and food definitely does contain energy and it it wilts as it as it gets older so if you're eating leftovers they've really lost their prana in the same way if you're kind of heating things up in a microwave all the time it's just burning out the good qualities in the food it's it's getting rid of that prana Uh, So I'd really advise just to, you know, try and focus on foods that are light and fresh and that lift your energy up. So as you can see, there's so many elements involved that make a meal Ayurvedic. And it's not necessarily what you might have initially thought. So just to recap everything I've said, it's all about incorporating the six tastes, eating the right portion at the right time in the right environment and making sure you have a balanced meal. It's about selecting seasonal foods that are fresh and full of prana and not restricting yourself too much. Remember, everything in moderation. And that's it for episode seven. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do rate me on Spotify and share it with anyone you think might benefit from learning about Ayurveda. So until the next time, enjoy your home-cooked food and get those geeky lists up on your fridge. See you next time.